summer with some passionate psalms, real people, real psalms, real passion. And so uh, what we're doing is just looking at uh, different psalms uh, that are just filled with some some passion in them. Uh, And so today we turn to Psalm 73. And to understand Psalm 73... Uh, you need to understand the guy that uh, the psalm is attributed to. It's attributed to a guy named Asaph. And, um, you know, we think of David writing a lot of the psalms, but uh, this one was uh, written by Asaph, and uh, he did probably about a dozen psalms, I think, are attributed to him. And uh, he's quite a guy. He was a Levite, uh, and so he was a worship leader. And so... um, you know, we can go in and see not only these other psalms that he wrote, but in Second Chronicles there's some uh, lyrics, worship music that he wrote. And it says in there that he had four sons, and they were also worship leaders in the temple. And so uh, this is a pretty cool guy, right? I mean, he's, he's out there as a leader in the church, leader in worship, and, uh, you know, writing songs and praise songs. And, you know, to give us kind of a sense, it would be kind of a, uh, you know, a Lincoln Brewster of his day, right? Remember Lincoln Brewster being here, right? Kind of, kind of a Lincoln Brewster of his day, right? That, that he was just out there uh, for the Lord. Well, knowing that, you, you can see when you get into Psalm 73, um, the incredible struggle and passion that Asaph goes through. Now, as we get into the psalm, he starts out uh, with this, this awareness in his life that he's, that he's understood all his life, at least in his head not in his heart, and and he just wants to believe this. And so right away he says in verse number one, God is truly good to Israel. He is good to those who have pure hearts. So Asaph right away just wants to make this statement over his life that says, listen, God is a good God. God is a good God. And and this good God wants good things in in the lives of his people. I mean, that's just a statement he wants to make. He he just wants to believe this, right? He's believed this all of his life. He's he's worshipped. He's led other people. He's probably taught other people, told other people, said, listen, God is just a good God. And and because he's a good God, he wants to bring good things into the lives of his people. But right away in the next verse, we see that Asaph struggles at a point in his life. Now, even though he makes this statement, he says, but my feet had almost slipped and I had almost tripped and fallen. So he's making an admission, right? He's saying, listen, I just want to believe that God is a good God and and I just want to believe that that God wants to bring good things to his people. But there was a time in my life where I faltered. There was a time in my life where, where, where I tripped, where I slipped. Okay, slipped into what? What happened? He says, I saw that proud and sinful people were doing well, and I began to long for what they had. What did he slip into? He slipped into that experience that we're familiar with, I'm sure, of comparison. Right? He starts comparing. He he starts looking at his own life. He starts focusing on his own life. And then he starts looking beyond himself to other people, and especially to people who are far away from God. Okay, The, the, The folks that aren't coming to temple, the folks that aren't worshiping, the folks that aren't connected to God at all. He says, I saw the proud and sinful people. So he starts looking at their life, and worse, he begins to envy their life. He says, I looked at their life, and I began to long for what they had. He starts this comparison thing. 
He, he looks at his own life and says, well, this is where my life is, but man, look where those people are. That man, that's awesome where those people are. That's what I want. And then he begins to describe what those people have. He looks at the people who are sinful or far, far away from God, and he says, man, they don't have any troubles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They, they don't have the problems that other people have, and they don't suffer as other people do. He's looking at those other people and saying, man, they, they got everything. I mean, you know, I'm on, I'm on cholesterol medication, and they're strong and healthy, and, you know, I mean, they got everything going for them. They, they don't have any troubles at all. In fact, he can make this statement from his perception as he's doing this comparison. He can make the statement and say, here's what sinful people are like. People far away from God. Here's what sinful people are like. They don't have a care in the world. They keep getting richer and richer. So what's up? What's he slipped into? Well, he slipped into that comparison experience that a lot of us get trapped in. Where he starts looking at his own life and he starts seeing what he doesn't have in comparison to looking at other people who are far away of God. And he begins to distort the reality of what their life is like. I mean, come on. Is there anybody in the room that really thinks he's correct when he says, these people don't have a care in the world? Really? They don't have any problems at all. I mean, everything in their life is absolutely, utterly perfect and wonderful and happy and great and fantastic. Really? But that's what he does. He gets so focused on what he doesn't have that he looks at other people and he distorts their reality to give them even more. He distorts the reality of what their life is like and all he sees is the emptiness of what his life is like. And he distorts it to the point where he begins to question and doubt God's goodness in his life. It comes in these verses. It seems as if I have kept my heart pure without any reason. It didn't do me any good to wash my hands, to show that I wasn't guilty of doing anything wrong. Day after day, I've been in pain. God has punished me every morning. Do you see how far he slipped? He has come to the point where what he said in verse 1 is no longer relevant to his life. And that he can now say, listen, I, I followed God for nothing. I, I, I worshipped and I, I followed God and I led other people for nothing. In fact, not only has it been worthless, but it's been painful. It's been nothing but a problem. And he got to this whole place because he slipped into that comparison life. He slipped into looking at his life in terms of what he didn't have in comparison to what he distorted and assumed everybody else does have. Isn't that an easy place to get to? I mean, really, isn't that easy? You see, it's that place that, that gets us to that, 
that phrase that, that, that we all know that's on the tip of our tongues and, and we look at our life and we look at other people's lives and, and we distort their life and we start thinking about what we don't have and then, it, and then we get this thing in our mind and we get it in our head and we get it in our heart and we say, you know, it's just not fair. Right? Just not fair. I mean, they got all that stuff, they got all that good stuff going on, and here I am, a faithful follower, and they get all that stuff, and what do I get? I mean, their life is without trouble, without pain, and all I do is I sacrifice and I serve, and you see what happens? We get to that place in our life where we start looking at our lives in terms of what they don't have, and we start coming across the problem of saying, you know what, this is just not fair. As if as if somehow life was supposed to be fair. I mean, God is fair, but where is it written life is? In fact, exactly the opposite is what Scripture tells us. No, we're in a, we're in a broken world, and unfair things are going to happen. Asaph is in that place where he is struggling, and he says in verse 16, I tried to understand it all, but it was more than I could handle. And this is the beginning of his transition. He, he tries to understand it all. He, he tries to get sense out of it. He, he tries to have it all kind of linear measure up and, and come to some conclusion. But the only conclusion he can come to is to say, listen, it's too big for me. I, I can't manage it all. I can't handle it all. I can't make rhyme or reason out of it all. And that is the beginning of Asaph's transition to a passionate, significant Life. How does it really happen for him? It happens because he gets his passion back for worship. He says, it troubled me until... See the transition? I mean, I struggled with this. I, I tried to make sense of it. I, I tried to get it to add up. It, it bothered me until... Until what? Until I entered God's temple. Until Asaph came into the presence of God, until he came to that place where he knew God was going to be. The temple, everybody knew. That was the place where God was until he drew near to God and got his focus back in the right place. Remember what he's been doing up until now. Up until now, he's been focusing on his life and what he didn't have in comparison to what he distorted and assumed everybody else had. And it left him in despair and frustration. Now, now he makes the transition and he comes into worship and he comes into that presence of God and his focus gets changed. That's why we worship. It's one of the reasons we're here. One of the reasons we're here is because when we come to worship, we know God is going to be present and, and our focus gets shifted. We get shifted from just dealing with our own problems and dealing with our own worries and dealing with our own sense of life not being fair and dealing with all the frustrations that we have, getting our focus away from what we don't have to an understanding of what does it mean to have God at the center of our lives. What do we really have? For Asaph, it was a huge transition. And it's a transition that allowed him to rediscover a passion for living his life. When he got his focus in the right place in worship, when he, when he discovered the incredible presence of God, then he comes to these kinds of awarenesses. 
He says, a dream goes away when a person wakes up. Lord, it will be like that when you rise up. It will be as if those people were only a dream. Those people that he looked at in the beginning and said, man, they got it all, they got it made, everything is good for them. Those people, he now looks at their life and says, it's like a dream you can't remember. You've had that experience, right? You have a dream, right? You go to sleep, you wake up in the morning, you've had a dream and you're like, oh man, I, I think that was a good one. But you can't grab it all. Right? You only get little snippets of it, you know, little portions of it. It's like, oh, I think that was a good one, but uh. that's his description for what it is for those lives of people who are living apart from God. That, that they, it may look like they're living the dream, but ultimately it won't even be remembered. It has no eternal significance. Asaph discovers that when he gets his focus in the right place, when he gets his focus back in worship and that centering in God, he discovers his life is a life that has eternal significance. His life is a life that has eternal significance. Why? He says, I now have a passion for God's presence. He said, but I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Asaph understands that God is not distant, but God is near him, and God is empowering his life, and his life is going to be a significant life. Not because of himself, but because God is working in his life. His life is not going to be a dream you can't remember. His life is going to have an impact in the world. His life is going to be a God-centered life and God-purposed life, and it renews his passion. It renews his passion. He understands that God is there working. He says, you give me wise advice to guide me, and when I die, you will take me away into the glory of heaven. He comes to that place of refocusing his life, not on himself, but on what God can do in his life, what God is doing in his life. And now all of a sudden his life has a passion to see what comes next. Remember where he was? When he was focusing on himself, it was like, Man, they got all this and I don't have, right? Now, he gets refocused. He gets refocused and now he's discovering, man, look at the difference God is making in my life. Every day now is an opportunity for me to live a significant day. Every day now, I get to wonder and look for and discern, what is God going to do today? Well, where is God going to lead me today? What kind of exciting opportunity does God have for me to do to make a difference today with my life? He's made that transition to understand what life has when it's centered on and focused on a passion for God. And that becomes the passion of his focus. It is a passion for God. It's no longer about him. It's no longer about what he doesn't have. It's all about what he does have because God's in the center of his life. He says, I don't have anyone in heaven but you. I don't want anything on earth besides you. What a great comparison, right? He, just a, a reality statement in the beginning. I, I don't have anyone in heaven but you. I mean, God, you, you're what's going for me in my life. God, I, I don't have it going for me, right? You, you're what's going for me in my life. I, I don't have anybody in heaven but you. You're it, God. 
You're the one that's going to prosper in my life. You're a good God. You're the one that's going to lead my life. You're a great God and you want good things for my life. You, that's what i got going for me, God. It's you. I don't have anybody else in heaven. And because of that, I don't want anything else except you now. I don't want anything else but what you want in my life. I don't want anything else but what you lead me to, God. I don't want anything else in my life but what your design is for my life. I don't want anything else. I don't care anymore whether it's fair or unfair. All I care about is it's what you want, God, because you're all I've got in heaven, and you're all I want on earth. What a huge passion transition, don't you think? What a huge passion transition. He says, my body and my heart may grow weak. God, you give strength to my heart. You are everything I will ever need. He comes to that place where at one time he was looking at all the people who are far away from God and saying, man, they, they got everything. They, they got everything. And now he's at a place where he says, listen, nothing compares to what I have. I mean, there's nothing in one of the garages that those people have that compare to the love I have in Christ Jesus. There's nothing those people have in their supersized house that I have in the supersized grace that God's been displaying in my life. There is no possession that anybody else could have out there in the world that compares with the forgiveness and the goodness that God brings to life. I mean, what do, you, what do you compare the goodness of God when God works in your marriage and builds a marriage that lasts and grows and flourishes? I mean, what does the world have that compares to, to being a mom or a dad that develops that incredible relationship with your child that's centered around Christ that you can pray together and grow together and build character? I mean, what, what does the world have that compares to looking at your life and understanding that you've made a difference with the time you've walked on this earth. See, Asaph says nothing. He says there's nothing. There's nothing the world can produce that is more important and more valuable than what I have already in God. I mean, for us, if you're out there and you're a, you're a sold-out Christ follower already, you know this, right? I mean, what can come compared to the value of what Jesus Christ did for you on a cross outside Jerusalem that you could be forgiven and have the promise of life eternal? What, what can compare? What, what can the world give into our life that compares to Jesus Christ walking out of that tomb and being alive and making us alive? Asaph understands he understands and has a passion, not for what he doesn't have in life, but he has a new passion for what it means to have God in his life. And he ends it up this way. But I am close to you, and that's good. Lord and King, I have made you my place of safety. I will talk about everything you have done. What a transition. He goes from looking at his life and saying, this is what I don't have compared to everybody else, to a place where he is so focused on God, so overwhelmed by God's passion and goodness for him, that he is ready to absolutely tell everybody he can. Listen, i got to tell you, God is so awesome. He is so good. He has filled my life with so much. I, I, I can't. i got to tell you. 
God is so great. He has forgiven me so many times when I've fallen down. He has picked me up and put me right back on the path. I can't tell you what it means to live a life of significance so that when I, when I meet my last breath, I know the Lord is going to be there, but I know my life is going to have meant something and stood for something. That's where Asaph is. And he wants to share that and tell as many people as he can about the incredible passion of what it means to have God at the center of your life. And, and notice in the verse, notice in the verse, it brings him to a place where he simply says, you are Lord and you are King. That's it. You're Lord, you're King. And if he's Lord, and if he's King, it doesn't matter whether life is fair or not. Because he's still Lord, and he's still King. And whatever he desires, that's all I want. It is a passion. A passion for living that kind of incredible life that says Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King and that's all I need. Let's pray. Father, we want that. We want that kind of life. We want that kind of passion. And we just want to receive today what it means to live as Jesus, with Jesus as Lord and King. And, and it won't always make sense to us, and we can't always understand it and manage it. And, and yet we know that, Lord, nothing is beyond you. And that you are a good God, and you want good things for your people. And we know that you've shown us in Jesus Christ the immeasurable goodness you have shown us forgiveness and grace. You have picked us up and put us back on the path. You have given us the opportunity to live incredible lives in his name. And Lord, we thank you. Today we just pray that we could, we could walk with Asaph and that we could come out at the same place. And, and in those times when we're tempted to fall and slip into that comparison thing, straighten us out. Keep us from that game. Help us to stay focused in the right place to see everything we have simply because you're a good God and you bring good things to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please.